This is the woman behind the business, featuring honest dialogue that advances and inspires women entrepreneurs. Here's your host, Angel Livis. This week on the woman behind the business, doing business her way on stage at any age. You know me, I'm your host, Angel Livis, and today's show is a compilation of interviews captured during the Hope Global Forums in Atlanta, Georgia. Our first guests watched their dad progress from once working for Ford Motor Company to now being a recognized household name, just like the company he once punched the clock. Steve Harvey's daughters, Brandy Harvey and Carly Harvey Raymond, sat down with me to talk a little about business, life, and passion. They entered a room of about 150 ladies dancing to Wipe Me Down. Here's what they had to say about their song choice. Now, why is that your theme song? Um, we've used it for years, honestly. It's just our Get Hype song. We think it's just a great, it's a great song. I mean, I pull up at the club VIP, guests take on me, but all drinks on me. It's, it, I mean, it's, it's the ultimate faith song. <laughs> Walking by faith, not by faith. Like, if we start looking at rappers like, you know, they're philosophers, because yeah. they are, they're teachers, they're poets, like we start looking at their music and what they write, like, you can apply that to your life, right. you know. That's faith. That's yeah. a whole Negro spiritual. And I think, a, I think, <laughs> that a whole I think, spiritual. I think, wipe me down is just a confidence song. You yeah, know? like it's I'm clean, I'm fresh, I'm feeling myself. I think whenever you hit the stage to speak to people, you have to be willing to have that confidence exude yeah. out of you that says like, I'm gonna kill this, you know, yeah, and right. I look good while doing it. You exactly. Know? Vegetables. Even if you're not all the way confident and you walking out with <laughs> nervousness and everything else. But you're ready. I love yeah, that. nerves I, are good. I think nerves, you know, our father has always told us that, you know, being nervous is a way that shows that you still respect your audience, mm. that you still respect them, you know, like you still want to give your best. And so, yeah, you get nervous, but I think the ability, once you get on that stage and they pass you that microphone, that's when, that's when, that's the magic. Like my, my gift is the microphone. And so when you give me the microphone, now my gift is on. You know, right. I'm, I'm running in it. Yeah. Now let's talk a little bit about entrepreneurship because you, you mentioned your dad. Um, a lot of times people say, or specifically the hundred black men say, you know, working with kids so they can see what they can be. Yeah. Growing up in a household full of entrepreneurs, what was that process like? Was it because you saw entrepreneurship or was it something that your parents told you about entrepreneurship that led you to believe I can be an entrepreneur and I can be successful as an entrepreneur. Well, it was definitely seeing it. I mean, our dad started a number of businesses before he, you know, walked into his gift of comedy, which then has led to him being a king of, king of comedy and a king of daytime television and television, period. But he started off selling insurance and Amway and all these he different things. And he worked up for a motor company. Those are things that we remember, that we watched. And um, but I always knew that I did not want to work for somebody. I mean, I dressed up in the fourth grade for Halloween as a businesswoman and I dressed up because I didn't want to be a, a ghost or goblin. I wanted to be a businesswoman. I wanted to be addressed as a businesswoman. So I had on my red bolero jacket and I had on my navy and my white and my patent shoes and I had a briefcase. Because I knew that that was what I wanted to become. In the fifth grade, I knew how to spell entrepreneur. And I could, like, finally put a name and on it. And those people still don't you know, know. Like, <laughs> I was, like, champion speller in my class. But, you know. Um, 
And so I just knew that that was what I wanted to do. But I think watching my father evolve, and I think for both of us, watching our father evolve into the businessman that he is, I think people look at him and think this very like one no one-sided you know comedian or talk show host or oh what's he's going to do now like he's always been like he's been groomed into the businessman that he is like he owns things that you will never know he owns you know what i'm saying like he has his hand in things that people don't even know because he is a businessman i think that that's the point that we always carly being an entrepreneur her husband being an entrepreneur um them being in insurance you know they believe that this is the way that you're going to create the generational wealth and right. legacy. Now, Carly, talk to us a little bit about your business and why you decided to go after what it is that you're doing these days. Well, this is the thing. I've done many things. And so, um, you know, if we just, years ago, you would have never told me I would have owned an insurance agency. Never. I would have been like, you are kidding me. Like, no. Um, but I started off doing cosmetology. I was a hairstylist for a number of years. I did a lot of wardrobe styling on set and things like that. But um, when I met my husband seven, almost seven years ago, be seven oh years God. this month, I know, <laughs> next June, um, seven years ago when I met my husband, he was in insurance. And interestingly enough, I met him at our mentoring camp. Like he was a sponsor. Um, he had come to the camp and I had never laid eyes on him until like three years after he had been there. So it was interesting. But um, my husband was the one who said to me like, hey, I think you would be really good in insurance. And I'm like, don't nobody want to sell insurance, bro? <laughs> I don't want to do that. Like, I make people look good. All this glamour. Look at this. You can't keep me in insurance <laughs> office. Keep me behind a desk. No one puts baby, baby in the corner. <laughs> but, I mean, honestly, when, um, you know, really getting to know my husband and just his drive, like, and then recognizing, like, everyone has insurance. Everyone. You have some form of insurance to literally be here. Um, it just opened my eyes to the possibility and the wealth that you can create, honestly. And I watch as, you know, you know, my people, our people, you know, aren't really equipped and don't have the wherewithal sometimes and the understanding to know like, hey, you can actually make a lot of money doing this. It may not be the way in which you thought. It's not sexy. It isn't, you know, and sometimes we tell our kids, but you know. But cashing checks is very sexy. Oh, no. Cashing <laughs> checks is sexy. I but telling somebody, oh, I do insurance. Yeah. But some sexy. people, sometimes people automatically have this stigma attached to what people look like when they do insurance. And so, honestly, it was creating that understanding for our families and looking at this, honestly, as a ministry, you know, because when you look at planning for your estate planning and retirement planning, we don't talk about that in our communities and not just the black community, but multicultural communities, Hispanic communities. The number one thing you hear in Hispanic communities, I'm not getting life insurance. I'm not setting my wife up for her other boyfriend when I die. Exactly. You know, and so like that is what you hear. And so my thing is to change that understanding of how you can create wealth in your family. So now let's talk a little bit about how do you build your brand while also building your business, <laughs> while also maintaining a household. Because <laughs> all of those things I feel like are daily tasks yeah. that we're, we're struggling with or we're managing. Mm -hmm. So how do you go about doing that? Well, I think with, with my brand with Beyond Her, what, what I had to be very clear on um, in the beginning when I was starting out was what was my intention behind it? Mm -hmm. Because I wasn't, this was not a popularity contest. This was not for fame. This was not for likes. This was really to do what my soul was calling me to do. And this was a part of my soul's work. 
And so with Beyond Her, I knew that I wanted to use the knowledge that I had from not only being a high school teacher and being executive director of a nonprofit, but also being a fitness competitor and being in the health and wellness space for well over a decade. And so um, how did I mesh all of that together, you know, to create something where women could really build and elevate their lives? So I think one, you have to be clear on your intentions. And two, I think we talk about building a brand. I think it's the same way we talk about building our lives. You got to make room for it. Mm -hmm. If you don't have the capacity to hold it, you're not going to be able to keep it. Right. So you have to make the room in your life for that. Um, and then the third thing, and I talk about this in my in my book that can that is found on my site beyondher.co, is that you have to master your emotions. And I think so much of us is driven by emotions every single time we get into things because it's emotional. Well, she doing this, so now I want to do that. She you know, she got that bag, I want that bag too. What do I have to do? Oh, she doing she doing a talk show? Now I want to do a talk show. Because well, how, how she gonna do a talk show? I ain't got no talk show. <laughs> so I think it's like, you know, you have to master your emotions that this is not an emotional decision, that this is very much an intentional God-driven soul's intention. I mean, Gary Zukav talks about it in The Seed of the Soul. It's about being intentional in everything that you do. Oprah tells the story of when she, you know, changed the direction of her show, you know, because she decided that now I'm going to be intentional. Mm -hmm. I'm going to sit these producers down and they're going to be intentional about why they are bringing the show topic to me. Why are we doing it? Is it to get ratings? Or now we're going to help somebody. Just be clear on your intention. Right. You know, and I think, you know, if making money is your only intention, then you there's a gamut of things that you can do. But if your intention is to do something of a higher calling um, on your life, then I think that requires some, some soul searching. But I also think in building a brand, too, that you have to walk it like you talk it. Walk it like you talk it. Listen, <laughs> cue, cue the Migos. Okay? <laughs> Once again, we are going to... We quote little Bootsy, we quote the Migos, you know? These are great philosophers of our century, you know? Walk it like you talk it. You know, I'm not going to want to buy into your brand if you don't look like what you say you represent. Preach. So if you are a personal trainer, but yet you don't look like you train yourself, I'm not going to sign up for a session with you. Right. If you say that you're in a healing work, but you don't come across healed, your tone, your conversation, your interactions are not that of a healed person. Well, I'm not going to come and seek healing from you. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about building these brands, you have to walk it like you talk it. You really have to live it. And I think that, you know, it takes time to build that. It takes some hurdles that you got to jump over, but it requires you to do the work. Now, I know Auntie Yala says that you got to do the work, beloved. You know, I know Auntie Yala said that you got to do the work. But that work really is the work that she's talking about is why you've got to forgive yourself. You got to confront your past and make amends with it. See, so much of why we can't get to the next level is because we're holding on to the things that are holding us back. Exactly. We're holding on to those past hurts, those past traumas. We haven't confronted it. We just keep knocking it under the rug. We're going to shop it away. We're going to sex it away. We're going to drink it away. We're going to smoke. All the things we're going to try to do because we won't confront it. Mm -hmm. And so we got to forgive ourselves. We got to confront, you know, our past and make amends. 
but we also have to train ourselves to be in a position to let this brand thrive, right? So if you don't have a skill set, you got to go train to get that skill set or bring in somebody who is trained and has that skill set. I love it. Now, how do you manage home and business? Oh, Lord. <laughs> Bro, tell that. I think that, that it's, a, it's a difficult thing. And I think that's the misconception of just being, having this balance. It's very hard to find balance. You know, as I said earlier, you know, when you feel like you're winning at one thing, you're losing at another. When you're totally immersed in your career and the office and you climbing that corporate ladder, you know, what you be doing at home seems to be lacking. You know, you can't give as much attention and time. And I think it's just being okay with that sometimes. And I think it's just telling yourself and feeling good about this is going to change the trajectory of my family. And oftentimes as women, we find ourselves, you know, feeling very guilty. You know, I feel very guilty at times, you know, like even this morning, you know, I was like trying to get ready and then my son, the school is out. So it's like, it's so many things that you feel like oh, I'm losing, you know, I'm, I'm failing at this, you know, I sit call my sister at times and be like, oh my God, if you're giving out grades, I'm getting an F, I'm getting an F, I'm getting an F, I'm getting an F, you know, you feel that because you don't feel like you, you are giving enough to your family, but also you're not giving enough to yourself. Yeah. And that's the thing. I'm a person who, even when I first had my son and recognized this through therapy was that I have to have alone time in order to recharge my battery. That doesn't mean like alone time, just going to get my nails done. That just means alone. I have to have time to recharge. So I can then figure out how can I then be creative? How can I find a space where I can then come back fresh, refresh and renew for my family? And that's not, oh, a long time with my husband, child, because then that's a whole nother job. You know, I got a, I got a job. I'm a wife. I'm a, oh, Lord. You know, and it, it requires a lot of emotional. It pulls on you emotionally. It, it it's is. Draining. Yeah. Let's just call it this. It's draining. It is. You have five jobs. Yeah. 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 And you barely sleep. Yeah. And so you're, you're constantly trying to keep everything afloat yeah and keep everybody happy uh -huh. and then sometimes like you said like i'm in the process of writing my second book and it's called her therapy mm -hmm. and it's all about the balance between being mommy and being boss mm -hmm. because that mommy guilt oh that's real it is yeah. mommy it is. guilt is real it is and so for me like i recognize like i was in ghana and the bahamas and toronto last year and every continent that i stepped foot on people asked me how do you balance being mom and being boss? And so I'm like, okay, so clearly this is something that people are struggling with. Yeah. Well, we just talked about that in a session and we said how Carly was just at a trend in Chicago and said that every woman who was there got asked, what did you do with your children? What did you do like, with oh, your children? Our children. See? But nobody, nobody no one asked the man at the training. Like nobody no one asked said you're gone for six days. Not one time in that class did anyone ask a man. Oh my God! So where are your kids? Oh, bro, you what did you do with your kids? <laughs> no one said, bro. No, they're like, oh my God, where are your kids? They're like, just go have a drink. Yeah, and it's like they moved on. Yeah, it doesn't matter because there is this automatic understanding that there is a woman somewhere holding this man down. There's this feeling that oh well, he gets to go off and do what he wants to do because there's some woman who is going to be there who is going to hold him down. And honestly, it is the truth. It is the truth. <laughs> like, we are constantly holding some man down. 
But no, it is it's that understanding that we know the hats in which that we have to wear and the many roles that we have to play. And yes, we can be successful in the boardroom. And yes, we can have successful businesses. But understanding that we have to be successful moms and wives and we still have to do it, you know, grace under fire, you know, or, you know, this pressure that we feel and still do it well. And so, and at times we don't do it well. When I'm momming during the week, I don't look like this. I have on a baseball cap and some Lululemon leggings and a workout top, you know, and my sneakers, you know, I'm bombing, you right. know. And so I get to do that and do it freely, you know, and just recognize, you know, every day you're not going to win. You're not. You're just not. You're going to win in some capacity. You, you Whether it, it, it might be, <laughs> I got to take a shower without the baby knocking on the door. <laughs> no, <laughs> well, that's, no, that's a bust in. Oh, they just bust in. They don't Tessa. care. Tessa. Tessa. Yeah. Yeah. BJ, her my son, son just bust is in. My nephew, if you if he sees you in the shower, that's his He takes his in. clothes off. He said, oh, oh I take the shower. shower too. Oh, maybe I'll take the shower too. I'll take, I'll you just took a bath. No, I'll take I'll a shower. That's what we're doing. I'm here. I'm here. Yeah, for us. so it is. So let me ask you this. In all that you do, what is your why? Why do you do the things that you do? What keeps you going when times get hard? You know, honestly, if you had asked me before I became a wife and a mom, like years ago when I was single, it was the why was, girl, I want to get this money. I want to, you know, the houses and the cars and all these things. Honestly, that's what it would have been. It's the why, the drive to just be successful. But, you know, almost three years ago when I had my son and got to look into those eyes, the why became him seeing something greater inside of me. You know, that when he looked at me, I want my son to be proud of me, you know, just like I want to be proud of my son. And the why became the drive for him to see a healthy, thriving family, to see us working at dealing with communication and conflict. How do we overcome it? How do we resolve it? That you're going to have it. But how do you then take it and say like, hey, we had conflict because that's what happens when people interact with each other. But then how do we make it better? So to see us healthy and thriving, that became my why. It wasn't, I wasn't, I was no longer driven by the money. I was driven by the pride I feel in my family, the love that I feel, that each day, the, the ability to be comfortable and that means just comfortable in my mind, peace in my spirit. That means for me to walk at home and not be yelling and fussing and fighting with nobody because I ain't got time for that. You know, mm -hmm. it is all of those things. And like, yeah, I want to do it and have a nice house and wear nice clothes and drive a nice car. That comes with it. Mm -hmm. But it also came with doing the work. And that became my why. It's just looking at my child, my son, and wanting him to not necessarily have not the material things that I didn't have growing up, but all of the other, the intangible things, that things that you cannot touch, that you cannot put a price tag on. I wanted him to have all of those things that I didn't have growing up, you know, and to feel safe at all times, you know? Okay. Maybe. Uh, the why. Um, the why for me really became and is that I wanted women to be as free as I've become. And in doing that and in teaching that, I really wanted the why to, I mean, honestly, that I just, I'm a teacher. So whatever I know that's good in my life that has worked out, I am immediately going to tell you, yes, read the book, do the thing, here go the steps, yes, girl, do something good. You're not going to hold it. I'm not holding back. And so 
my why became elevating other people to the next level that my why became at first to just show up as the best version of myself and then it became to help other people show up as the best version of themselves and that they are spiritually well that they're emotionally well mentally well and physically well and so you can live well and be well on the planet and so that that became my why i love it now the one thing that we do before we close out any of our one behind the business talks is we share something called moments from the valley now your moment from the valley is a time in your life that you did not know how you were going to overcome a situation so how you overcame it and what was waiting for you on the other side um there's been so many valleys <laughs> yeah. um, so, <laughs> i think i think so often people look at you know especially like children of celebrities you know, like you've always had this wonderful, you know, life of abundance. That everything in your life has always just been like the silver spoon and all of that. And that was not the case. You know, our father started comedy when we were children, you know, and we're the firstborn. And so um, I think one of the valleys for me, and it, it was such a deep valley, was the lack of relationship with my father. And when my father started comedy and going out on the road, he was no longer in our house. And then he and my mother got a divorce. And that was such a great pain that I, that took, that, you know, like that really settled in my life. And for years, you know, I could not forgive him because I, I spent so much time watching him on television and his absence in our home was a real detriment. Like it was such a hard thing because you got kids at school who they like you didn't tell people that that's your dad. They're like, well, he'll never be here. Like, is he really your dad? And so when people ask you that, is he really your dad? And even still now at 36, people still ask. <laughs> I just, I mean, look at my face. <laughs> you got his whole face. I got his whole face. But you know. But I, you know, that was such a deep pain. And I took that pain through so many different moments of my life, from college to young adult relationships to the type of men that I was attracted to and who I attracted in my life. And that was a, a deep valley. But the mountain came when I got therapy. You know, like I started to move out of that valley when I started to confront my past and make amends with it. But I had to forgive myself for carrying it for such a long time, you know, 20 years of just carrying it. We don't realize we're carrying it. We think we say we forgive people and then we really don't forgive them. We just said it, you know, because it sounded good at the altar at church or something, wherever. And, and I kept saying these things, right, that I wasn't, but until I started to confront my past, until I started to deal with the hurt, the rejection, the trauma, that was such a ripple effect in my life until I started to recognize the why I was choosing the relationships, why I was choosing, because now I had to take 100% responsibility for my life. Because I couldn't blame him. He made decisions for his life. But now I had to take full responsibility for my own life. And so when I did that, I got really clear. I got a therapist. I made I made it a, a, the investment to do this on a weekly basis. And my, and my 
my therapist don't take insurance. So I knew that I was making a commitment to this and that I was going to show up because I was going to show up for myself. And so in showing up for myself, so many things started happening. I started, you know, really getting into journaling. I started, it, it forced me back. It forced me so back into the word, which I just, of, of God, you know, it forced me back into reading the word. It forced me back into quiet time. It forced me into all these different things. But what I did to overcome was I had to confront my past and make amends with it so I could secure the bag of my future. And I think so often we think securing the bag is about securing the money. Right. But the real bag in your life is I want to secure health. I want to secure wealth. I got into therapy and I transformed my life because I wanted to do it for my unborn children. I made a commitment to my unborn children. I made a commitment to my unborn grandchildren that I was going to heal myself for them. And when I got clear on that, it helped me walk different. It helped me rise to the occasion different. And it helped me show up as a better person because I made the commitment to show up for myself. Not anybody else, not my daddy, not anybody else. I showed up for Brandy. And so in doing that, it just it elevated my life. And the values of abandonment, rejection, you know, drugs, alcohol, there, there is a value in that. And I totally am overweight, holding on to the other weight, the over, overweight, the extra weight. All of that is the valley. It is a real deep, dark valley. But to get out of that, you're going to have to dig up the root of your life. And I had to dig up the roots. I had to find the why was I making the same mistake over and over again. And when I got clear on that, life opened up. Thank you for that, Brandy. <laughs> well, I think, you know, just like Brandy, um, I definitely have done therapy and it's been a blessing to my life. It's interesting. My husband was the one who said when we were dating, he was, when we were still dating, he said, I really want to marry you, but you know, some things you need to work on. Like, you know, you might need to go like therapy. And I was like, oh, I'm the problem? Oh, oh, it's me. Oh, it's me. But, you know, interestingly enough, it was the thing that really helped change my life. But I look at everything, you know, even with any valley that you experience um, as just like David and Goliath. Oh, yes. You know, it is the ultimate test of your faith. But also just to understand, like, when David walked into that arena, he already said, like, he was like, oh, I'm going to slay Goliath. And the thing about it is, like, everyone's like, you can't, he was nine feet tall, you know. <laughs> he, he was big. <laughs> he was big. <laughs> but the thing about it is, if you look at any situation in your life as your Goliath, you know, whatever trial or tribulation or hardship is coming your way, if you look at it just like Goliath and have the faith that David had and say, you know, whatever comes my way, I got these five smooth stones. Five. Like, I got five smooth stones. Nobody else's armor. Nobody. I don't have no, no, I don't have no guns. I don't have no ammunition. I don't have, I don't have any swords and shields. I got these five smooth stones. And when you look at any situation in your life just like that, like your faith, your, the love, the care, the compassion that you have, the understanding that this is just for a season, it's not going to last always, like, it's just a real thing. If you look at it just like, I got these five, five smooth stones. 
And with these five smooth stones, I can kill this giant. I'm going to slay him. And so when anything comes my way, any trial, I'm telling you, I'm in a trial right now. I am in it. I am in it. I am in a trial right now. But all I keep saying is just have faith. Have faith that this is only for a season. This is only for a, it's a small, small portion of your life. Small. It's a small window of time. And I look at it like saying to myself, God, I just trust you. I trust you. I have faith in you. I have this understanding that no matter what comes, no matter what goes, you're going to show up and show out in my life because I keep showing up and showing out for you, you know, giving God glory and honor. Isn't that but, the, the beauty, girl, that life shows up every single day? Yeah. Life shows up. The moment life don't show up, you done checked out. <laughs> but life, like, cheers to life. Yeah. Because thank you for showing up one more day. You showed up for me one more day. For another opportunity. For another opportunity to slay the giants, to test my faith, to go higher. Like you, thank you for sh cheers to life for showing up. Well, what was your moment from the valley? She I'm in one now. I'm in one. You ain't gotta share the one you in now. Just give us one. <laughs> Well, I mean, honestly, when I look at just valleys in life, I, I don't, I honestly don't dwell on the things that have, that I've been through. Um, I think one of the harder times for me was after having my son and really recognizing that postpartum is a real thing. You know, most people, they look at postpartum and they say, oh, you're it's postpartum because you're, you're going to shake your baby or, you know, you have to be, you, you have to really physically hurt someone. That's not true. You know, postpartum is a real mental and physical change that you're going through after you have a baby. But mentally, how difficult it was for me after I had my son was because I was living this very jet-setting life before I had my son. I, now, this is it. I got married September 26th of 2015. I got back from my honeymoon October 11th. I found out I was pregnant October 31st. There was no, like when I say Jesus take the wheel, it was a real crash course in like, oh, so, oh, we love each other. Oh, we is married now. Oh, we have a family. Oh, I haven't even moved my stuff from Atlanta. <laughs> like, it was like that. It happened so quickly. But I had come off of living, you know, on a plane like every three days. I was traveling quite a bit. I was always working. And it was very hard for me to settle down when I had my son, you know, to actually be at home. Because you don't recognize how you have to really, you have to, your old life has died. And you're trying to be born into this mother, into this new life. And you really do grieve your old life. Like, I was grieving my old life. I was grieving the fact that I couldn't get up and do and go when I wanted to. And it was difficult. And my career wasn't jumping off like it was. You know, I was at home. You know, I wasn't working. And so that can take a toll on you mentally. You know, you start to feel inadequate. You start to feel like you're not doing enough, that you're not giving enough. And, and you look in the mirror sometimes and say, who am I? And that's tough as a mom when you wake up and you say, "This is, am I having a outwardly valid experience? Like, is this my life? Is this really my life? I think I said, though, that, that like 10 times. Like, is this my life? <laughs> but I think that was a very difficult thing for me. And just trying to re-evolve how to the metamorphosis of changing and growing into a mother but 
how am I going to butterfly into something else? That I look at my old life as that being of just that, my old life, but how do I embrace the new life that I have, but also the blessing? You know, sometimes we miss the blessing. Not that we don't, we have this awesome, amazing little person that's looking up to us, but sometimes in that we miss the fact that, wow, I have the ability, God has trusted me enough to give me this child, but also that I can shape and mold and give him back to God, you know? Yeah, it's, it's those things that, you know, so having a child was difficult in that transition of really recognizing, you know, you know, finding my new, my new voice. Hey, awesome. Well, thank you both so much for joining us. Thank you for having us. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Um, you want to give your uh, website information? Yeah. Um, you can um, follow and join the Journey Beyond uh, at beyondher.co on Instagram, and beyondher.co is my website. Beyondher.co, um, and I offer classes um, as well as ebook and digital products. Yeah, you can find me on Instagram at I am Carly Raymond. I am Carly, K-A-R-L-I, Raymond, R-A-Y-M-O-N-D. Yeah. Get your insurance, get your life together, <laughs> and we all going to win. We doing it. Yes. All right, awesome. Thank you. Thank baby. you so much. Thank, Thank you. you. I hope that you all enjoyed that conversation with the Harvey sisters because I absolutely did. Up next, I'll introduce you to another lady that I met in Atlanta. She's the woman behind Crown Women Rising, the Ghana chapter. Stay with us. It's like the morning time. Don't want to wake up. I just want to stay in bed. But if I'm next to you, I'm looking forward to just laying in this bed. Mm-hmm. Ooh, that never gets old. Promise you'll never let go. I don't want no one else. So we should be chilling back. Ain't nothing wrong with that. So tell me that, tell me that Tell me I'm the best I am I be feeling like yes I am, I am You know I'm the best I am Be a fool to not take me as I am Tell me I'm the best I am I be feeling like yes I am, I am You know I'm the best I am You be a fool to not take me as I am Sweetest thing I know Like my favorite long song And I need you really bad Don't take me for granted You'll be regretting it Oh, I should be your last Oh, yeah Ooh, that never gets old Promise you'll never let go Grass ain't green nowhere else So we should be chilling back Ain't nothing wrong with that So tell me that, tell me that Tell me I'm the best I 
Yes, I am, I am You know I'm the best I am Be a fool and not take me as I am Tell me I'm the best I am I be feeling like yes, I am, I am Welcome back to the Women Behind the Business Talk Show. I'm your host, Angel Livis, and we just finished listening to an interview that I captured with Brandy Harvey and Carly Harvey Raymond about their business ventures, life, and passion. Now, I'm going to switch gears and introduce you to Nana Satre. She's the founder of Crown Women Rising Ghana, the Ghana chapter. So we don't waste any time. We're going to dive right in by learning more about the Crown Women Rising event, which will take place in Accra, Ghana, September 5th and 6th. And I'll be one of their featured speakers. But first, Nana, why did you decide to launch the Ghana chapter of Crown Women Rising? Last year, I went to Kenya and uh, I saw how the Kenyan women were very much involved in uh, agriculture, trading, and all that. And they were exporting their products to to the United States. And I saw that. And then I realized that, wow, Ghana, uh, when we go into agriculture, our soil is even more fertile than in Kenya. But the women are not producing stuff. They are not exporting anything. They are not, uh, they, we have a lot of talented people in the craft design every field, but they are not exporting. They just, everything is local. So I found out about uh, exporting under Agoa. So at Crown Women, um, it's a training, networking, and empowerment organization. And we identify, we nurture, we launch, and uh, honor high-achieving women globally. What I mean by high-achieving women, uh, you can be a woman of any level, uh, whether it's the lower ground and you are a high achiever, you empower it to the next level and so forth and so on and so forth. So that's what we've been doing. So we go into the community and we look for people who are like the dress that I'm working, I'm wearing. It's a student who designs it and she sells these. Wouldn't these be um, I'm in good export. Mm-hmm. So if we help to a person like that to export the product to Macy's, you buy it. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I remember Ambassador Young approaching me and said, uh, "Don't you? I want to sell uh, Kente cloth." Mm-hmm. And so we have a lot of talented people who are doing this. The Kente, but then they they get paid like peanuts because. They, they, they sell everything locally. So um, we're told about the AGOA, which uh, is the African Growth Opportunity Act, and it allows the local Ghanaians 
to export your products through Agoa and the duty free. So essentially, you're creating opportunities, um, opportunities for greater exposure, opportunities for everybody to essentially win, right? So tell us a little bit about you. How did you decide that this was something that was placed on your heart to do? Or, you know, what was it that made you decide that this is kind of like your life's calling to do this and to raise the consciousness of people in Ghana? It almost brought me to tears. Uh, I'm an ordained minister, and it's been my life to empower people. Just like 20, 30 years ago, I started way back in Zambia, where I used to look for talents. And uh, we host people, but we organize like teas for people to buy like artwork, jewelry, and all that. And then I got to some point in my life where I thought that my life was empty. I was here and I wanted something to do. So I got into ministry and a ministry where we took care of the homeless, the needy people um, by feeding, soup kitchen, and also clothing. And that was still not enough. We graduated from uh, the ministry school and people, everybody had like, a specific calling that they wanted to do. And I didn't want to force it, but I have felt that there was something that is really missing. So when uh, I found out about Crown Women Rising and I went to Kenya and what was happening, I said, wow, this is something that we can contribute for women because I know Ghanaian women are, are such hardworking women. But then they don't go anywhere because you, you, we need them to have a voice to be able to uh, be parents who can support their family, to be able to do things that other people to be included in society. And that's what that my heart went for. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very passionate about helping people. I've been doing that all my life, I guess. It came from my, my parents. My mother was the same. Wherever I find a need... I help. So one of the things that I appreciate about your transparency is that a lot of times we, sometimes we, we uh, kind of are afraid to walk within our purpose or to step within our calling because we don't know how we think we're, it's too much for us. You know, sometimes we get a little afraid and then we reach out to some of the people closest to us and we say, hey, what do you think about this? And then they start to feed us kind of negative thoughts or they don't understand really what's been placed on our heart to do. So how have you been able to successfully overcome those negative naysayers, those negative even Sometimes that um, imposter syndrome that goes on internally within ourselves where we're like, Lord, what am I doing? What have you put, you know, what have you placed on my heart? Because you said that you would never give me too much than I can bear. But I feel like this is unbearable. How do you make it through those times? It's been like a challenge uh, in Ghana. When I was in, in, uh, in the U.S., uh, in the ministry, I used to say like, ooh, the people in ministry are doing certain things that is scary. And you think about, oh, my circle of friends, they don't do that. But when I really went home and then I realized that not everybody has the same 
vision and mission as you have. Everybody is in for the money. You haven't even started the thing. Everything is coming out of your pocket and people want to <laughs> just take what you have, the little that you've, you've raised to start a, uh, a business, something that is so dear to your heart to help other women. The, when I was in the ministry, the women, when you need help and they volunteer, they come and help. In Ghana, they don't. And I don't blame them uh, because they don't have, like, if they don't work full-time, they won't be able to uh, take care of themselves. So if they have to come and help you for anything, you have to pay them. They don't understand that they are empowering other women. No, it has to cost you money for you for me to empower somebody for you. So helping each woman or pushing every woman up it's not like in the cards for everybody. So you really get a few people who will stick with you and help you, but at their own time or their own pace. And I see that people are not very truthful about their way. When they say they'll do it, they don't do it. And I later found out that they don't do it because you haven't paid them. Mm -hmm. So it's been uh, very challenging for me. And um, I'm learning a lot of stuff and a lot of nice say yes. Some want you very negative or want you to give up if you can get people to help you. And especially when you say that this is an NGO, uh, it's a non-profit organization, and everything that I'm doing is coming out of pocket. I need to raise funds. They don't understand. If you not you don't pay me, I'm not on board with you. Mm -hmm. So it's been very challenging and very frustrating. So I can tell you that as a fellow... Um, founder of a nonprofit, one of the things that I think is incredibly important is to show people the value add, to show people here is how, it may not be monetarily, but here is how you will be benefited through working with us in that process. Um, what would you say has been your most challenging um, aspect of your journey thus far, not just necessarily with this organization, but, you know, just in life, because I feel like we are always um, balancing our personal life, our professional life. What would you say has been like your most difficult area in which you've had to like overcome? Hmm. Uh, I guess the most difficult area is being financial. I say financial because I have to do everything out of my pocket, helping people to get to what they where they want to be or see somebody in financial need and I had to help. Sometimes people don't understand that you give all you have. And then the more you give, the more they, they expect you. And it's been very challenging. I'm 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 blessed enough to have a husband who supports me and you also don't want to be uh like a useless wife where everything you get you give away so i need to what i love to see that every woman is being empowered and able to take care of themselves they said when you 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 uh empower a woman you empower a whole nation and i see when women have access to financial or capital, they put it to good use. 
and make sure that it's sustainable to be able to support your family, to able to support other women. At least this is what I think. Um, this is my perspective about how um, women should support each other. So it's been uh, a challenge and also uh, not getting people to be very truthful about their word. I came from an old school where your word is everything. It's your command. When they tell you that even if you said it and you can't do it, you have to make sure that you communicate with the person to let the person know why the situation is cha- changing or something like that. But it's, it's being difficult. And then uh, also getting like uh, companies to to partner with us. It hasn't been easy when it's a new company because they want to see what you're bringing to the table. So you... Yesterday, a lady talked about just you need one person, and she wanted to just she went for one company, and out came uh, her problem was uh, resolved. So I'm looking for that. We are lucky enough to be partnered with Ghana Export Promotions, uh, and uh, they said they want to see this work because in Ghana it's never worked for them. Agoa has been in Ghana since 2001, but they get the funds, and when the funds run out. It's that's it. But we've put a five-year plan to make sure that this is sustainable and how to take care of it. And we put under the STEM with science, technology, engineering, and math. Every category, every woman is being empowered. Every background is being empowered. And it doesn't. And I need people to partner with us, come on board with us, and then let us uh, help each other, push each other up. So being that one of the things that you've mentioned uh, is like really important, it sounds like financial security. And even if you're exporting and you create opportunities for people to work with, work through AGOA to export their products to other countries, without that financial security and understanding how money works, understanding how to invest your money, understanding the power of money, right? Then it seems like they they still won't completely benefit. Like you'll have more money, yes. But will you know how to have your money work for you? So are there any programs within your organization um, that teach financial literacy, Yes, uh, before, from now until um, September 5th and 6th, which is the summit, we have some ongoing uh, program, financial literacy, education, and all that. We recently had uh, capacity building and confidence building, and uh, to educate people about all this, we teach people about to get them export ready, uh, about packaging and all that. So when your product is not up to export ready standard, we guide you and all that. So there are uh, there are teachers, facilitators and all that that are helping to educate people because we need this to be sustainable. We don't want to be like what has been run before. We want this to work in Ghana and I'm on the ground and we'll make sure that we'll monitor. We have even... I've started going to like uh, the chiefs who own the land. I talked to one of them and he said, um, 
he wanted me to buy the land. I said, listen, I'm helping you to make money for your own village or as we call it or your own township so what you do is land and i and i uh, and then you provide the land i will give you the seed to sow because uh there are to sow there are a lot of uh, exotic vegetables that kenyans are exporting we we can do better but we are not exporting we just get the local produce and then we eat them but we can have like bell peppers and a whole lot of exotic vegetables and export them and uh, i remember years ago we had one president who had uh, a vision about operation feed yourself that you f- you farm and you feed yourself and Ghanaians were very successful at that time. They they weren't hungry. But now people have the land and they don't even cultivate. They don't plant anything. And I asked some of the farmers and they say we don't have money even to go and farm. We don't even have money to buy water. So if I farm for myself, will you at least buy some water and food for me? So this has been the challenge uh, just to help helping people out of who have nothing to begin with, at least you need to give them some capital to start and see to it that they are progressing. And then uh, this is turned into something tangible that will be exported for their own benefits. And once they are financially uh, competent or financially stable, then you don't have to worry about it. Then they empower other women. So um, to wrap up, uh, and, and I will say the woman behind the business would love to partner with you and, and the, your initiative and the work that you're doing in Ghana. Um, and as I said before, we even started airing, you know, we have started a relationship in Ghana and have been there and I've spoken out there. And it's definitely an area in which um, we definitely want to continue to grow and build upon the work that we're doing. So um, you have that commitment from me. Um All right, so before we wrap up any of our programming, we always do what we call our moments from the valley, okay? Um, Your moment from the valley is a time in which you did not know how you were going to make it through a particular situation. It can be any situation, personal or business. And so we would like to know what the situation was, how you got out of it, and then what was waiting for you on the other side. I walked into um, a church in Tampa, Florida, and anytime I left the country, there was like I was missing something. The people there, the spiritual level was so high, unlike Ghana, or um, I was in South Africa at that time, where people, you wait for a pastor to pray for you or preach for you. or So I was among a whole lot of people who could preach like, or I mean, pray like angels. And I couldn't pray, but yet I was taught, like, in my family, I was the one who could pray a lot. But one day I came home and I said, told my husband, you should have seen this woman. She prays like an old woman, like, you know, Michael, uh, um, Melo Angelo, Maya Angelo. She is like you, it's like you are speaking to an old lady. She prays and she pauses and she adds to it and I felt that anytime I travel outside the church, I was missing something. So I told, I started cleaning the church. <laughs> I started uh, doing volunteering a lot, like taking care of the, the homeless and uh, uh, all that. And it still wasn't, 
ministering to the youth, anybody I come into contact with, I'm, I'm preaching to them. And I still felt empty that there was something that I needed to do. Until I got involved in the ministry uh, full-time, and it was challenging. After ministry, we come out and everybody said, I'm going into teaching, I'm going to evangelizing, I'm doing this. And I, I realized, I just don't know. I thought maybe I have gifted hands, maybe I'll touch people and heal them or something like that, which I've prayed to people and they've recovered. And I'm thinking, where am I going with all this? And then I've realized that went back, I think you, at some point in your life, you realize that what you were doing when you were a child, you you find out after 50, I find myself going back. And I used to go to the church and clean. I used to uh, take care of like needy people all my life. And I grew up and my children are like that. And my husband, l- luckily, is also like that. So I found out wanting to do that. So it was until I started doing that that I was fulfilled. So with me, without working at that time and even in ministry, when I came, I started doing architectural school. Let me go to school and help my husband who is in um, property development. I wasn't fulfilled I w- until I started giving back to the community. And it helped me somehow. So I, yeah, I might, I, I was like ready to go home. I've always wanted to go home. And I thought, what will I give back to, to Ghana? What will I give back to the country? And this has been a great fulfillment that I will be crowned woman rise in Ghana, will be able to give back to the community, empower other women to empower themselves, empower the youth, whatever they learn, whatever they, they are taught, so also impact on others and then uh, to ch- transform the community. So this is my passion and I'm, I'm very happy and I'm grateful that you are coming on board with us to partner with us. It's such a big relief that you understand where I'm coming from and you be able to help us. All right, so we've come to the end of the show and I'm so grateful for the opportunity to share these interviews with you. I hope that they've ministered to your hearts and next week I'll be sharing more compilations from Atlanta. But for today, that's our show. Please be sure to check out past broadcasts on our website, wbbtalk.com. And now you can start registering for the Woman Behind the Business Retreat titled Vision 2020, using scriptures to propel you to new dimensions. It's all happening on the beautiful island of Nassau, Bahamas, February 20th through 24th, 2020 at Bahamar Resort and Convention Center. To register, visit wbbtalk.com backslash registration. And of course, follow us on social media at wbbtalk. A special thank you to our show producer, Shane Lewis, and our program director, Max Myrick. Until next time, stay blessed.